0: This is uh, Dr. Pedro Ramirez, Editor-in-Chief of the International Journal of uh, Gynecological Cancer. And uh, today, I have the great pleasure of speaking with Dr. Andreina Fernandez, who is a molecular biologist at the Laboratory of Molecular Genetics in the Institute of Oncology and Hematology in Caracas, Venezuela. And the reason for the discussion is the article titled, Human Papillomavirus Independent Cervical Cancer. Lots of uh, very interesting topics to discuss uh, on this uh, this particular manuscript. We're certainly very glad that she and her team uh, uh, certainly submitted it to the uh, International Journal. So uh, welcome, Andrina. It's great to have you.
1: Hi, Pedro. Thank you for the invitation. It's an honor to be with you today.
0: Fantastic. So, Andreina, I have to, I, I, you know, certainly for, for disclosure, Andreina say well, make sure that we announce that I'm a molecular biologist and not a, a, a physician <laughs> clinician. And then I will have to also say the same disclosure that I am a physician. So may, many of these questions may be uh, somewhat un- unfamiliar uh, to me in, in my daily practice. Uh, but with that, I, I think that we're um, uh, definitely looking forward to discussing with you. Uh, many of these topics. And I wanted to start by um, just discussing how common is HPV in cervical cancers and what are the frequencies of the most common genotypes?
1: Yeah, well, we start with the easy one. (laughs) Um, As we know, human papillomavirus is the etiological agent of cervical cancer. So it is detected in nearly 95% of all cases. The high-risk genotypes, 16 and 18, are the most frequent types of HPV associated with 70% of cervical cancer. Um, Other types, such as 31, 33, and 45, are less frequent but could be detected in general population worldwide.
0: Great. And and Andreina, one of the things that I wanted to then ask you, because I think, obviously, when we hear of cervical cancer, it's sort of assumed that they're all caused by HPV. Um, But obviously the the topic of this, uh, of this manuscript raises awareness about this, uh, the HPV independent. Uh, What percentage of cervical cancers are deemed HPV independent and what characterizes these types of tumors in terms of like their molecular profile?
1: Yeah, this is a very interesting topic. The, the percentage of HPV-independent tumour is very variable, around 5 and 10 percent, but this is depending on the use methodology for the HPV detection. Um, the implementation of novel molecular techniques have been made possible the characterization of the HPV-independent tumours, And the recent publications, such as the Cancer Genome Atlas Research Network report, have provided new information. In general, um, these tumors show a different profile than HPV-associated tumors, with founder mutations in PTN, P53, KRAS, CTNB1, ARID1A, and ARID5P, independently of the APOVEC pathway. Uh, this is a hallmark of the HPV infection. Also shows lower DNA methylation levels associated with overexpression of several genes.
0: So, Andrina, when looking now at the, um, and we'll, we'll get into uh, more specifically on, on those uh, elements of the uh, genetics and the, and the molecular uh, component, but also wanted to also ask about the clinical profile. Um, Can we start by discussing histology? Are these tumors generally squamous or or adenocarcinomas or or other types of histologic subtypes?
1: Yeah. um, The the majority of reports indicate that HPV-independent tumors are adenocarcinomas. Hmm. However, there have been reports of HPV-independent cases with squamous histology. Even the new WHO classification includes the squamous types as HPV-independent. So, I think we could see more reports in the near future about um, squamous histology.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because when, um, I, you know, think uh, many automatically think that uh, squamous histology definitely is always associated with with HPV, or the overwhelming yeah. majority of cases. So now you mentioned that the 2020 um, WHO update. Um, tell us about that update by the WHO on the classification of uh, female genital tumors and the impact that this has had on uh, HPV-independent cervical cancers. Yes. Um,
1: in November 2020, the WHO updated the female genital tumor classification and recognized that a proportion of cervical cancers are not associated with HPV infection, especially adenocarcinomas. Based on this statement, the Tumor Editorial Board subdivided the cervical squamous lesions and adenocarcinomas into HPV-associated and HPV-independent tumors. Also, the American Joint Committee on Cancer suggested the defining HPV status as associated or independent considering the evidence describing worse oncological outcomes in the HPV-independent tumors. The determination of HPV status prior to the start of treatment could be a useful tool for discussion of disease prognosis and potentially for establishing closer surveillance in these patients.
0: Now, um Obviously, when one looks at the tumor as being HPV negative, right? Um, you talked specifically about a number of scenarios and by which a patient may test HPV negative. And, and And it was really interesting to see because, you know, obviously one doesn't really routinely consider uh, all of the potential ramifications that could lead to an HPV negative tumor. So I was wondering if you can share with us uh, what are those scenarios? I, I believe you mentioned five scenarios by which uh, there could be HPV negative status in uh, in a tumor.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, a negative HPV test result can have uh, several points of view. Um, the first one is the true negative tumors, in which there is no detection of the HPV genome such as some subtypes of adenocarcinomas and a few cases of squamous carcinoma. The second one is the loss of the HPV genome during the integration process. This is an event very frequent in cervical cancer cases. The third scenario is the presence of viral genotypes in the sample not included in the molecular test. Uh, We have to remember there there are at least Genotypes able to infect mucosal surfaces. We can also have a, a failure in detection of the diagnostic method employed, and that is why the validated tests are recommended. And finally, can occur a misclassification of cancer as primary cervical during the histopathology evaluation, and that's why it's recommended the use of an additional PCR based test as a part of the differential diagnosis of a possible HPV-independent cervical cancer.
0: Great. And then now, what would you say uh, is, or what, what would you quote as the sensitivity of HPV testing? How sensitive is it, and what, what other factors that predict that sensitivity?
1: Well, in general, the HPV tests are very sensitive, above 90%, hmm. with a high negative predictive value. However, the test performance can be affected by a variety of factors such as sample collection, nucleic acid extraction methodology, the primers design, and use of adequate internal controls. Even uh, the presence of vaginal creams or douche during the sample collection can have a negative impact over the test.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so a, a number of factors uh, could determine that, absolutely. Uh, and then yeah. I was wondering if you could tell me, what, what is the most commonly used method to detect the HPV genome? And also, again, why would a test not detect a specific type of HPV genome?
1: Well, um, this is a, a difficult question because according to the latest update of molecular tests for HPV detection, published in 2020, 254 commercial tests were identified globally. However, most of them have not been properly validated. Among the FDA-approved tests, we could say that the COVAS HPV test is one of the most frequent in screening programs, in addition to hybrid Capture 2 in low- and middle-income countries. Each test is designed to detect a specific HPV genotypes, and most of them target HPV type 16 and 18, mm-hmm. associated with the highest proportion of cervical cancer. So if the type is not included in the test design, we can detect it.
0: Very well, yeah, that, that obviously make, makes sense. Um, Now, there's something that you uh, go into in the manuscript. You talk about um, signal amplification versus um, DNA amplification. Uh, What's the difference and and why is it important to know this difference?
1: Yeah, um, here is more about um, the type of technique. Uh, The signal amplification techniques employ specific proofs that hybridize with HPV DNA and through an enzymatic reaction produce a luminescent response. Within this group, we have the hybrid capture 2 and Servista. Um, the DNA amplification techniques exponentially multiply the quantity of HPV DNA-, DNA present in the sample by a polymerase chain reaction, such as Cobos HPV test, BD clarity or Aptima assay that amplifies HPV mRNA. Final amplification methods have a lower sensitivity than DNA amplification and may cause false negative, especially in cases where the viral load is low. In addition, the absence of an internal control increases the proportion of false negatives, likely due to degradation of the viral genome um, most PCR-based tests only amplify the L1 region of the virus. Therefore, um, the PCR false negative may be associated with the loss of this region during the viral integration process. Mm-hmm. Each one has its strengths and weaknesses. The important thing is to be able to interpret it.
0: Excellent. Now, a um, couple of the questions that we have uh, today are actually directly from our uh, fellows in the journal. Um, This next question is from uh, Eric Estrada in Guatemala. Um, And he mentions, he says, well, uh, you discuss uh, that HPV independent tumors have a a lower proliferative activity. Um, What does that mean and what are the implications of that?
1: Well, um, it is proposed that HPV-independent tumors show lower cell proliferative activity than HPV-associated ones, suggesting that viral infection plays an important role at that level. We know that cancer cells tend to form new cells more rapidly, which allows chemotherapy drugs to attack them more easily. Therefore, these HPV-independent tumors with low cell proliferative activity may have a low response rate to standard cervical cancer treatments, suggesting that their worst overall survival and disease-free survival may be due to this event.
0: Excellent. Um, And now, tell us a a little bit more about uh, this molecular component. and, And, you know, certainly you address a number of them. I think that uh, you, you put a quite a, a lot of emf- emphasis on the, the, the WIG-1 um, and, and the uh, RNAs as it pertains to HPV-independent tumors. Mm-hmm. Um, w- w- what, can you, what can you tell us about those?
1: Well, WIG-1 is a P53-regulated gene that encodes a transcription factor and is amplified in many human cancers. Several reports indicate that both wig one mRNA and nuclear protein staining were found to be more elevated in HPV-negative cell lines and in HPV-independent cervical cancer cases, mm. suggesting a possible role of this protein, week one in HPV-negative cervical carcinogenesis and a possible novel prognostic marker. Mm. Regarding the micro-RNAs, a class of uh, small non-coding RNA molecules, the absence of high-risk HPV, E6, and E7 proteins could be deregulating the expression of MIR-9, MIR-21, even the um, MIR-155, impacting regulation of different processes, for example, metastasis, cell proliferation, inflammation associated carcinogenesis and tumor metabolism. Currently, this is a topic that is been widely explored for its possible use in the diagnosis and prognosis of cancer.
0: That's great, so looking forward to hearing more about that. Um, yeah. Now, I want to switch a little bit uh, into an area that may not be your specific area of expertise, <laughs> uh, you know going into the discussion on, on clinical outcomes and uh, and I know that you had some discussion with your co-authors as well. Um, now for these HPV independent tumors, are there differences uh, in terms of like nodal status, uh, disease free survival? overall survival, um, what does prognosis look like for patients with HPV-independent tumors?
1: Yeah, um, there's a huge controversy about these tumors. Um, Since the early 2000s, our worst oncologic outcome had already been described in patients with these types of tumors, mainly adenocarcinomas. Mm. And in the last two years, they have been well-defined. Even the American Journal of Pathologists did a special issue about this, but it is interesting to see that SCREAMS tumors are also associated with early lymph node involvement, accelerated tumor growth, distant metastasis, and a more aggressive biological behavior related to a worse disease-free survival and overall survival. We still need more robust evidence, but since 2020, when the WHO published the new classification, a lot of data about HPV-independent tumors have been continuously reported, even associating pre-invasive cervical lesions.
0: Yeah, so so obviously we we'll uh, we'll be looking out for more information specifically about these uh, these tumors as it pertains to the prognosis of of uh, of these patients. And, and, and then that brings me to a couple of questions from Cecilia Darin from Argentina. Uh, her first question is, are there different treatment approaches based on this HPV status? In other words, should we recommend something different, particularly as you mentioned that there may be worse prognosis for patients who are HPV independent? Yeah. Well,
1: um, it is well known that in HPV-independent oropharyngeal cancer, the response rate to chemotherapy and radiation treatments is lower than in HPV-associated cases. So maybe this could represent an eventual change in the current treatment approaches in cervical cancer.
0: Interesting. And, and, and now then also again moving forward with regards to additional implications on clinical practice, Um, Again, Cecilia Darín asks, in in low and middle income countries with a higher incidence of cervical cancer, of course, if we start doing more HPV testing and less pap smears and colposcopy as screening, could we not be missing these types of cancers?
1: Yeah, this is a very important question. Uh, We should consider that so far it has not been defined whether There are really HPV-independent pre-invasive lesions, the main outcome of HPV-based screening. Furthermore, the largest proportion of cervical cancer cases are HPV-associated. We must continue with the research and follow-up of these cases in order to establish the possible need for a separate screening for this group of tumors.
0: Yeah, and then ultimately the uh, the indications for subsequent treatment and I guess also soon uh, potentially maintenance treatment in, in patients with uh, yeah. cervical cancer. Now this next question also, uh, it's an interesting question, Emma Allenson from Australia. Um, she says, there is emerging data for more conservative management in cervical cancers. Do you think we should exercise caution in applying this approach to HPV-negative, HPV-independent tumors, given their overall worse prognosis?
1: Well, um, this is not my expertise area, <laughs> but I know that IRTA and CONSERV demonstrated this year that less is more in cervical cancer. But I think there is still a lack of evidence to be able to say if these HPV-independent tumors should have different management. I think molecular biology is going to play an important role in establishing mid- and long-term behaviors as is happening in cases of head and neck cancers and in both relations.
0: Yes, yeah, so definitely we'll be looking to, to your field to give us a lot more guidance <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, with that. <laughs> Um, now, you you have actually a, a beautiful diagram here in, uh, in the manuscript um, that brings us to the next question. This, the question is from Sarah Nasser in Germany, and she says, let's discuss the why. What is the ideology of HPV independence? Uh, you speak about this hit and run viral theory. What is that?
1: Well, this is my favorite part, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) The hit-and-run mechanism is a theory that could explain the absence of the viral genome in the HPV-independent cervical cancer cases. In general, viruses associated with human cancers promote an inflammatory process, change the microenvironment and cellular metabolism, and are associated with genomic instability. The hit-and-run theory proposed that once a viral infection has caused sufficient cellular alteration, expression of viral proteins or viral infection is no longer required for tumor maintenance. And consequently, the virus may be lost during cancer progression. Um, It has been proposed that E6 and E7 oncogenes start the process of carcinogenesis, but as the mutations accumulate over time, transcription of the viral genes is no longer necessary, and therefore they are lost. During the hit-and-run process, the transient but regular presence of viral genomes in a pre-invasive stage of the respective tumor would be required, Thus, the initial persistent infection with HPV in pre invasive lesions could be the necessary hit for the development of HPV independent cervical cancer after the viral run.
0: So really very interesting, and and once again, uh, not only have you explained it uh, very well, but also a fantastic graphic in uh, in um, the uh, the manuscript itself. Now, Andrina, uh, we have a rare tumor uh, group here at MD Anderson uh, in gynecologic oncology. Uh, when they learned uh, about uh, this podcast, uh, they said, "Well, please ask her." What her thoughts are on this question, because this is a a topic that is often debated by them, um, is, are neuroendocrine carcinomas of the cervix HPV related?
1: Well, this is a great question because this is also a controversial topic. In a great review made by Dr. Salvo, have been reported a positive detection frequency between 70 and 90%, especially with the 16 and 18 types. Also, the results reported by Alejo and colleagues in 2018 showed an HPV infection of 86% and an overexpression of P16 in 86% too. So we can suggest a relation between these tumors and the HPV infection. But it is very interesting that neuroendocrine tumors show similar precursor mutations as HPV-independent ones such as P53 and KRAS, and their biological behavior is similar to what we have been describing. Maybe we can talk about the hit and run mechanism in these cases too. So it's very important that rare tumors are a challenge for multidisciplinary teams and thus being able to offer the best treatment to the patients. It would be very interesting to know the HPV status of the Nectar patients.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I I think they'll be happy to work with... uh a leading molecular biologist like you uh and, and, and draft you to their team for for their rare tumors uh, evaluation now Andreina, uh, <laughs> i I'll, I'll pass that on uh, yeah. <laughs> Andrina, I wanted to ask you obviously now a hot topic in uh, the management of patients with um, cervical cancers uh, checkpoint inhibitors based immunotherapy obviously uh p d one and p d l one inhibitors um you you talk about two studies the keynote um twenty eight and the checkmate three fifty eight trial uh what did we learn from those studies as it pertained to HPV associated cervical cancer, and did we have any information about HPV independent cervical cancers from those trials yeah um
1: well. The, um, we know that the lack of HPV infection is associated with a lower expression of inflammatory genes, suggesting that HPV independent cervical cancers may have a worse response rate to checkpoint inhibitors based immunotherapy, such as PD1 and PDL1 inhibitors. The Keynote 28 trial and Checkmate 358 trial demonstrated that patients with HPV-associated cervical cancer had improved outcomes due to an elevated proportion of TCDH-infiltrating lymphocytes and pdl one um, receptors. And recently, a good oncologic results have been reported for the use of pembrolizumab in cervical cancer. So I think the use of these uh, inhibitors in HPV-associated cervical cancer is a very good option.
0: And then now, uh, just a, a few more questions. Obviously, Andrea, I want to be respectful of your time. Um, what does the future hold for research in, in, the, in these types of cancers, the, the HPV-independent cancers?
1: Well, I believe that there is still a lot of research to be done. To continue with the evaluation of possible molecular hallmarks characteristic of HPV-independent tumors, and to promote the review of cervical cancer cases, encouraging researchers to report on clinical outcomes, evaluating the overall response rate to a specific treatment, and to consider new new biomarkers to establish more accurate prognostic factors.
0: Yeah, and, and as you mentioned, I think that uh, that's, that's what we're all really very interested in is... Uh, whether there will be uh, a difference in terms of how we treat these patients or how we counsel patients based on a, on a HPV status, and then do do you have, based on working in this field now for quite some time, um, any predictions as to whether that will be the case, whether we will be treating patients differently based on HPV status?
1: Yeah, it's possible. Uh, there is a still a lot to learn about these tumors, and perhaps in the future. We will be able to consider treatments and clinical approaches different from those we currently use. Um, in science and in medicine, we are always evolving.
0: Andreina thank you so, so much for for your time. Um, Andreina Fernandez from the Institute of Oncology and Hematology in Caracas. This has been really a pleasure speaking with you. Uh, once again, thank you so much for submitting this really great work to the, uh, to the journal. And uh, we look forward to actually uh, also seeing you and speaking with you at the uh, Journal Club. So uh, congratulations on, on this work and really looking forward to your future work as well.
1: Now, thank you, Pedro, for the opportunity. A great pleasure to have talked with you. And thank you to all my colleagues who did a great team job to achieve this review. Thank you.